First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to apologize for two weeks ago, the last episode I released for that absolute debacle of audio. I really do apologize. I can't believe that happened. It was one of those just technical glitches that tends to happen every so often. We're 120 episodes in, and even a, a, a savvy veteran like myself producing two podcasts, these things, technical glitches just happen. It's audio equipment, it's computers, it, it, you know, it's microphones, it's sound mixers, all sorts of things. So those those types of issues can still occur even as a seasoned vet. So I do want to apologize. We have a big episode on tap for you today. I did not do one last week just because of the Series X launch and Xbox that is. And I just wanted to finally get that set up and running and, and play some games over the weekend. So I took the week off, wasn't really prepared for an episode. So we've got a big one coming up. We're going to talk some NFL. We had a wild one last night. We had a wild one with the Cardinals and Bills on Sunday, last Sunday. Okay, a prominent Major League Baseball player suspended for a full season. College football on tap. Okay, talk some college football. Talk some NBA, of course. We had the NBA draft on Wednesday night. That's going to be the real majority of this episode, the nucleus, if you will, the meat and potatoes. And it's all coming up in less than one minute. Listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. What's going on, everybody? How we doing tonight? It is Friday, November 20th, 2020. Like I said, just a couple days ago, we had the NBA draft. We'll get into that. We'll talk college football, NFL, you name it. We've got it all, and I'm covering it here. This is the one and only podcast where I break down just about every major sport and it's called This Week in Sports for a reason. Every major headline that took place over the course uh, from last Friday till now, this Friday, it's all getting covered. So any major issue or headline or, or who went number one in the NBA draft, all that good stuff, recapping the NFL week 11 or 10, uh, recapping the college football week, you got it right here. 
This is why you listen. This is why you need to listen. If you already don't, I welcome all my new listeners. You can follow me on social media. I'm on the Twitter. I'm on the IG. I'm, you know, DM me. I'm a little slow on IG sometimes because I just don't go on there enough and realize that I have messages from fans and whatnot wanting to talk. I, I know people have been asking me, when am I going to be back on the Glorious House of Gains podcast? Well, I'm such a good producer that I have them up and running without the need of my services. So I don't know if I'll be on anytime soon. Maybe they could have me on as a guest or something in the near future. But um, back to this week in sports. Um, like I said earlier, in, in, you know, in the intro, I do apologize for the audio. I don't think it's been that bad in 120 episodes. This is the second mic I've ever used and used to use my Blue Yeti, really had no issues there. That's just a plug and play mic. This one, a little more complicated. I am excited a couple weeks from now, about a month or so, I did order a new, it's a USB-C mic, which, you know, usually USB-C mics, if you don't have XLR and plug straight into an audio mixer, your sound quality is not as great. But apparently, from what I understand, the PreSonus Revelator is the future. It's geared toward podcasters and streamers galore. It's got like basically a built-in mixer on it. It's got some quick software. It allows me to do the loop back real nice and easy through their interface. So I'm going to look forward to trying that out and really testing it and seeing if it if it compares well to, to this mic that I'm currently using, which is about a, I think like a $120 uh, XLR mic, but I have it up on a, um, uh, a boom arm and it just kind of gets in the way of my computer and everything. And then I've got the mixer. And uh, so to just plug and play right into my laptop would be nice. So we're going to try that out in a couple of weeks when I finally am able to uh, get that shipped out to me. Because I'm told it's totally back ordered. must be a hot ticket item as we get geared towards uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Anyway, with that being said, I also have a, I bought three Xbox Series Xs. Okay, didn't really plan on it. Um, but my first, I went and pre-ordered on the 22nd of September, big pre-order day. The GameStop website kept crashing. There was two, two model, two models I was looking for the $500. Well, actually I was looking for the, the payment plan option, the all access plan bundle. And, uh, it was, you know, it's like $37 a month and you play, pay it through citizens, one bank, like, a you know, a loan. And I wanted that one because it came with. Game Pass Ultimate, if you know anything about Xbox, that's basically Netflix for gaming. And when I had trouble getting in on the website for that one, I tried to order the regular $500 just console. And I put my credit card info in everything and it kept telling me it didn't go through. Then I was able to go back, get the all access bundle. Next thing you know, I get two emails from GameStop saying that I placed confirming two orders. So I paid for two Xboxes. So I was like, you know what? Rather than cancel, let me just sell them because I know they're going to be hot item. And while I'm in line on November 10th, not too long ago, right? A couple weeks ago, 10 days ago, um, standing outside of GameStop, waiting to go in to pick up my pre-order of my system and had the second one being delivered via FedEx. This one, unfortunately, I had to go pick up in-store Somebody in line is like, yo, Costco has them on their site. They're sold out, but you could still check out and purchase it. I said, okay, logged into Costco, purchased another one. It came with the second controller. Told my friend about it. He also purchased one. Funny story about it. He tried and tried and tried, couldn't get it. His Costco one got canceled. 
Well, guess what? Mine didn't. It's up on eBay. Came just the other day. Put it up on eBay yesterday or the day before. Uh, Thursday, yeah, yesterday. And started the bidding at $500. It's up over $735 right now. So if you're interested, you know, hit me up. Um, you can bid on it. You can you can make me an offer. I can send out the link and share it if anybody is interested. I probably will share it on Twitter this weekend if I haven't already done so. But yeah, um, so that'll be fun. I'm playing golf tomorrow, finally getting some good weather again. We're almost hitting, we're about winter time now. So uh, fall's really going away. We're about you know, at Thanksgiving and a week away. And luckily we're getting some good weather tomorrow. So I'm going to go play golf with my dad, my uh, brother and uh, sister-in-law. So uh, yeah, that should be fun. And then uh, my dad actually just for the first time in his entire life, speaking of golf, uh, got a hole in one. Uh, 17th hole, local course right right here in, in Jersey. And uh he did it on one of the coldest days you could play possibly too. 17th hole, second to last hole. And, uh, he didn't know what happened. He got up to the green, couldn't find the ball. Sure enough, it was in the hole. So that is an amazing feat. Um, I can't wait. Uh, I hope that I can at least, you know, hit one in my entire life. I mean, a hole in one is gotta be one of the greatest feats or accomplishments in sports you know, whether you're a professional or not. I mean, even professionals, you don't see hole-in-ones very often. Granted, we saw John Rahm, you know, at his practice round at the Masters with that crazy hole-in-one where he skipped it like a rock across, the, you know, the the water there, the pond, but just unreal uh, hole-in-one. So yeah, that's awesome there. Um, I, I know my grandfather uh, has, you know, hit a bunch of hole-in-ones in his lifetime. He's told me like four or so. Um, yeah, so one day, one day I will get there when I play as many rounds as those two. Um, I hope to, you know, get a hole in one, at least one in my lifetime. One would be, you know, would be a huge accomplishment. All right. Now that I've got all that stuff out of the way, we can jump right in because I, I feel like this is going to be a bit of a long episode and I really didn't want to, you know, drag it out and, and make it such, but you know me, I'm the Pody, and I have a show to produce, and I have to, you know, the integrity of the show is to bring you the news and the headlines each week of all the major sports, so I have to do that, and if I run over, I run over, I apologize, but I have to, uh, I feel like, um, you know, I need to get that out. So, with that being said, um, my audio clips are probably out of order, I'm just realizing, because I probably didn't get those um, ready to go properly, but let's dive right in. Let's start with college football. I know you guys want to hear about the NBA draft and what I have to think, but I want to save that for later. That'll be, you know, a little bit later in the show. Um, you know, this is like the soft open. So let's begin with college football. Wow. And we start with the big 10 Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh, it, it just looks more and more like they are headed for a breakup. I don't foresee Harbaugh uh, making it through uh, for another season after this one. Rough one and two start coming in, already playing a tough opponent in Wisconsin. Okay. And honestly, I didn't foresee this coming. This has to be the lowest point ever for a Michigan fan for 
uh, Michigan students for that entire campus. They're lucky there's no fans right now because uh, Jim Harbaugh would need security on his way out. Um, They recorded one total yard of offense, did Michigan, in the first quarter while throwing two interceptions. They found themselves down 14-0 before it all came crashing down. Listen, okay, uh, this this kid, Joe Milton, um, I don't think he's good at all. He looks heavy to me. He's a big guy, just... You know, he 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 doesn't have a feel for it. Throws an interception, ill-advised pass on the first play from scrimmage. Okay, first play of the game. Uh, just ugly. By halftime, Michigan was down 28 to nothing. A historic hole. Good enough, ladies and gentlemen. Their largest halftime deficit at home since Michigan Stadium opened in 19. 19- 1927. Let me repeat that. Their largest halftime deficit at home since the stadium opened in 1927. Just this is as bad as it gets. And I don't know if it's the lack of fans, you know, not being there, but a lot of this is coaching. You can't tell me that you can't get this team ready to play. Came in, started the season as a top ranked team, just just a disaster. In all, Wisconsin ran the ball down their throats to a tune of 341 yards, and they held on to the ball for 40 minutes compared to 19, almost uh, just shade under 20 minutes for a Michigan. They doubled their time of possession. I mean, just ridiculous. They dropped now to one and three, does uh, Michigan. They have four games left on the schedule, right? Because the shortened COVID season, they're only playing uh, Big Ten games, conference schedule. So they don't have, I mean, one in three. You basically have to win out, you know, or, go. you, you know, win three of four just to get back to 500. I, I mean, this, Harbaugh's done. He, he's headed back to the NFL. I know Mike Greenberg has talked. He wants the Jets to go out and get him. Um, but everybody sees the writing on the wall. This is it. He's got to go back to the NFL where he had some success because he's just not built for college, even though he had some success at Stanford. And, you know, I'd have success there too if I had Andrew Luck as my quarterback. But listen, um, I don't know if he would be the right fit for the Jets. Maybe it would be cool just because he's a big name. His brother coaches the Ravens all that good stuff, but we'll see. I just don't, I, there's no chance that Harbaugh is coming back. A high profile school like Michigan, I know he played there as well at Michigan himself and it was a good story, him coming back there, but no, 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 that's over and done with. Okay, next up, number 11, Oregon rallied in the second half to take down Washington State 43 to 29. Sophomore quarterback, wow, excuse me, sophomore quarterback Tyler Show. Shined for the Ducks. He threw for four touchdowns, accounting for 400 yards of total offense, both through the air and rushing as well. The Ducks are not only 2-0, but also 2-0 on the road. Very impressive. They've got a big game coming up. I, I'm more on that. Uh, for the second consecutive week, USC, another Pac-12 team they needed a miracle to pull off another close victory of course week one it was against Herm Edwards in Arizona State week two they get it done against Arizona must be something about that state they down 14-3 came back against Arizona State to win that one 28-27 
They scored in this one, a touchdown with 25 seconds left in the game to beat Arizona 34 to 30. I doubt they'll go man coverage. They were just burned with man coverage the last time they were down here. seconds remaining on the clock so usc now travels this week to utah and after two brutal tough games that they should have probably lost but squeaked out victories clay helton i mean he's got to be one of those coaches on the hot seat this year so if he would have started zero and two forget about it but utah this is their season opener i'm actually i don't know the spread on this game um actually i could probably look that up really quickly right now the spread on that game, because that's the late 10:30 game tomorrow, it's USC minus three. I am extremely tempted to bet on this game and take Utah because I just see the writing on the wall. How many close games are you going to win in a row? Now you have to go on the road to play Utah. I mean, come on, that's a tough game in and of itself, even if they are rolling. And so, uh, yeah, I'm thinking that I'm going to take Utah in this game for sure. Um, so, so that's one of my. One of my good bets, you know, one of my, I'm offering that up to you guys. Uh, I think that's a good bet this week. Okay, how, let's, can we just talk for a second about, so Clemson is is playing Florida State. Clemson has to travel to Florida State, okay, to take on Florida State at 12 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday. The spread on this game is 35 and a half points. So Florida State is a 35 and a half point home dog. Oh my God. Yes, Clemson's getting Trevor Lawrence back, but some part of me has to believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a tiny bit rusty. He hasn't played in two weeks. So has Florida State really tumbled this far? Was it? We're not that far removed. 2013, when Florida State won the BCS National Championship, they won 29 straight games with with a squinting Jameis Winston, who who you know recently just got LASIK actually, you know torturing all of us by squinting, trying to look at the plays because his eyes are so bad. I mean, they've fallen off that far. A team that appeared in the first ever college football playoff, they're now like two and six. They've gone through a huge coaching regime. That's pretty much, you know, how this thing works. Okay, they had Bobby Bowden for, what, 34, 35 years. Uh, then Jimbo Fisher with Jameis Winston. He wins a national championship. Then he thought he's too good. He moves on to, like, Texas A&M and whatever else. Then they had Willie Taggart and just just a whole mess of, of a team right now. And, and so, but, but to me, I, I just don't know how you bet Clemson might you know and take them 30 they got to win by 36 points i mean that means they have to basically put up 38 points and no they'd have to put up 39 and they'd have to win 39 to 3 i mean or 40 to 3 like i don't foresee 
Florida State losing by 36 points. But that's such a high spread that I just don't know. It could be a trap because last week, Liberty had a similar spread against a team that hadn't played a game yet. They pl- and they they blew them out like 50 to 10 or something and covered the spread. And I almost bet the other end of that. So I could have been burned. But uh, that to me, I mean, that's a tough, tough, tough spread to justify taking Clemson. Uh, I can't, you can't go wrong if you take Florida State and they lose this game by 40 points. I mean, that's just rough. But yeah, wow, my, how the mighty have fallen. Okay, uh, some news today, this morning, Washington State, Stanford, that game has been canceled due to COVID. There was some morning testing today that took the Cougars below the 53 scholarship player threshold to play. Among those that tested positive, quarterback Jaden DeLora. DeLora. So uh, yeah, that game has been canceled. And usually what they've been doing, these games are not being made up. They're just canceled and then they move on. Other notable games this weekend include Big Ten matchup, Ohio State, Indiana, that should be a big one. Two undefeateds, number three team in the country in Ohio State against the number 10 team in the country. Ohio State, another intriguing spread, 20 and a half point favorites. This one's tricky. This one, I might have to take Indiana because Ohio State looks human against Rutgers. They only beat Rutgers by 21 and Rutgers would have cut it to 14 had they not fumbled right at the end of the game around the 10 yard line. So, man, I, I just, I like that. I like Indiana again here. Um, I don't expect them to win at all. But would I be surprised if they win? Absolutely not. But 20 and a half points. Uh, I gotta, I gotta wonder, I gotta figure out where they're coming up with these numbers because that's shocking. Next up, you have number 15, Coastal Carolina. They're back in action against Appalachian State a week after their game was canceled due to COVID. So they had off last week because of COVID. They're back on the map 7-0. They take on App State, who is 6-1. So that should be, look for that matchup. Uh, That should be a good one. And then another top 25 Big Ten game to look for at 3.30. You've got number 10 Wisconsin traveling to number 19 Northwestern. And then finally, you've got Oklahoma taking on Oklahoma State at 10.30. That's a that's a battle of, um, of ranked opponents. I believe Oklahoma is ranked 18th and Oklahoma State is 14. Um, and then you've got... Uh, Where's the or- Oregon will is home against uh, UCLA. So that's at 3.30 as well. All right, that just about wraps up college football. I uh, don't want to get too much into it. Rutgers hosting uh, Michigan. They had a tough luck loss last week against Illinois. Noah Vidral, uh, the grad transfer. I've seen enough. It's time to move on. Bring back Art Sikowski. He's a more traditional pocket passer. Yes, Vidral can move around, but I'm sick and tired of watching players on my teams that I root for not know how to play the quarterback position. Whether it's Sam Darnold or this kid, Vidral, nobody knows how to step uh, drop back in a pocket. It's unbelievable. This kid takes one step drop and then just throws flat-footed. Yeah, he can run and, and, and pull in an option here and there and get some first downs, but I mean, he threw three ill-advised picks. 
and Rutgers blew that game against a terrible Illinois team at home. And now they host, uh, they're at home again, hosting Michigan, who might be in a worse free fall than them, um, if not for Penn State. So this is a very winnable game for Rutgers, and I look forward to watching this one. Um, that's, you know, so, all right, we'll move on and we'll talk some golf next. Okay, the Masters. Everybody knows it. The green jacket, this is the event of the year. It's normally played, you know, right around Easter, but because of COVID, boom, we're playing the Masters in the middle of November. And we had all sorts of issues with weather, all sorts of issues with with uh, sunlight. They had to, you know, basically in the middle of rounds, guys playing 9, 10, 11 holes, they had to stop for the day, come back in the morning, finish that round, and then play another 18 for the next round. So it was kind of all over the place. Then we had some bad rain the one day. But all in all, nobody was better than the number one player in the world, Dustin Johnson, who ran away with the 84th Masters title. Take a listen, Jim uh, Nance, on the call. And the 2020 Masters. The long-awaited Masters has a long-awaited champion in Dustin Johnson. He finished 20 under par, guys. That breaks the 72-hole Masters scoring record of 18 under par, jointly held by Tiger Woods in 1997, and Jordan Spieth in 2015. Man, Jordan Spieth, let me just real quick say something about him. He was a young 20-something, 22-year-old kid, took the world by storm, just came out of nowhere, never re- like went to college and had this brother that played basketball at Brown, and, but just literally he was the next Tiger Woods, started winning major after major after major, and out of nowhere, for the last like five years, this kid hasn't won anything. And he has just been middle of the pack. He finished maybe like two or three under on the tournament. But man, he has really, that's, and and anyone that knows golf or plays golf, it can hit that fast. I mean, look at Tiger, top of the world, the sex scandal, everything comes out and it just plummets. And it took him years to get back to where he was. And, and you know, even in this one, He's the defending champ. He tried his best. Unfortunately, on Sunday, he hit three balls into the water on one of the par threes. I forget what hole that was. And um, just sank, you know, sank his his day. Came back with four out of five or five out of six birdies to finish at like minus one or somewhere around there. Uh, If not for that horrible uh, hole, you know, he could have finished right there up in the top 10 or so. But yeah, Jordan Spieth, man, I feel bad for that kid just losing it. But anyway, Johnson had a, or held a wire-to-wire lead, which again, miraculous. I mean, that that literally means every, from, from Thursday to Sunday, he was either tied for the lead or outright leader. Every single day, that is hard to do. And of course, just the 12th player to do it. 84 Masters, this was the 84th one. He's just the 12th guy to lead wire to wire to win the green jacket without trailing at the end of any round. Uh, His brother is actually his caddy. So uh, 
the Dustin Johnson, Austin Johnson brother combo. That is the third family team to win the Masters, joining Jack and Jack Nicholas II in 1986 and Patrick Reed Kessler Karain, uh, which that was Patrick Reed's brother in law, who was his caddy in 2018. Just a fun little nugget there. Dustin defeated second place uh, finisher Cameron Smith. And Sunjay M by five strokes. Neither of those guys I had ever heard of uh, before yesterday. And their score of 15 under par. So those guys, those two guys finish 15 under. DJ wins it by five strokes, but they're 15 under par. Listen to this. They would have won a green jacket in all but three of the last 10 tournaments. So I don't know if it was the fact that, you know, nerves weren't really an issue because there's no fans and and whatnot, plus like the weather playing in November. I don't know what it was, but my goodness, the scores were ridiculous. DJ becoming the fourth golfer in the last 50 years to win the Masters by at least five strokes, again, joining Tiger in 97. Jack Nickel, uh, excuse me, Nick Faldo in 96, won by five. Tiger won in 97 by 12, just ridiculous. And in 76, Raymond Floyd won by eight strokes. Just unreal. So congratulations to Dustin Johnson. He is the world number one still. Uh, just a ridiculous. When he gets it going, he's unstoppable. Uh, and he's a Coastal Carolina guy. And, you know, he has Wayne Gretzky's daughter, you know, keeping him company. They're not married yet, I don't believe, but they have a couple kids together. Uh, So anyway, he's on top of the world and he is definitely winning at life. Okay, next up, we will dive into the NFL and recap week 10, and I'll give you my picks for week 11. That's up next. Okay, let's dive right in. Let's talk some NFL, and we're going to start with Brady and the Bucks because they bounced back in a big way. And I was hoping they would. I needed them to show me something, show me that they had a pulse after that 38-3 to drubbing at the hands of the New Orleans Saints. And it was a shaky start against the Carolina Panthers, a, uh, NFC South uh, opponent. But uh, after you know the first couple series, first quarter, they really got it locked and loaded. Uh, Ronald Jones, again, man, he fumbles on the first drive. Things were not looking good. Uh, So Ronald Jones, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week, he fumbled. I think two weeks ago, he fumbled and then basically never saw the field again. Granted, um, they, you know, they have Leonard Fournette and whatnot, and he did okay. And then he he did a little better last week. Um, And then, you know, when Ronald Jones fumbles in this one, I needed him in fantasy. I was a little depressed and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Um, But luckily... They the Bucks turned it around. Brady matching Teddy Bridgewater because Bridgewater looked good to start. They turned that turnover into a quick touchdown, but Brady matched him and some, throwing for 341 yards, four total touchdowns. Who said Tom Brady doesn't have it left in the tank? The biggest highlight, though, for Tampa Bay came in the third quarter when my boy Rojo burst free for the longest touchdown, offensive touchdown in franchise history. Take a listen to this. I think uh, they could have done a better job, you know, call, with the call on this one, but, you know, here we go. Ronald Jones will get a big hole. Jones gets by. Ronald Jones may go all the way. Being chased from behind. Does Jones have enough? Still on his feet. Ronald Jones! 
everyone in my fantasy league made fun of me when I drafted Rojo in like the fourth round because I had had no I had no running backs at that point and I I went three receivers to start and then I took Rojo and this was even after they announced that Fournette was signed and everyone thought Fournette would be the guy and it's been all Rojo all season long like I said he fumbled earlier in this game but bounces back 98 yard touchdown got me like 30 points in fantasy helped me win my second straight I'm now five and five I'm one game out of a playoff spot Although it's more like two because I have the least points for in my league because Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin were my first two picks, unfortunately. So, uh, but hey, I've got a pulse. I'm still in this thing and I'm playing a guy this week who is on like a seven game winning streak. So that's got to come to an end at some point. And I look to be the guy to do it. So some more Rojo would be real nice. But, but Brady, the Bucks, they bounce back. They look great in this one and they're back into, uh, you know, Playoff contention, top team in the NFC, and Super Bowl. Super Bowl, uh, they could start dreaming of it again, and so can I, because I got mad money on them winning the Super Bowl. Okay, next up, let's talk Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. They had themselves a scare at home, had a dicey showing for sure against Jake Lutton and the Jags but managed to eke out the 24-20 win at home. Look, this one, I was a little bit worried. The spread was real high. It was like, uh, it was in the double digits, like 13 and a half or so, and I knew this had trap written all over it. What I did was I went to my little trusty uh, favorite, what's becoming my favorite bet now, which is to take the Packers over 15 and a half first half points. I don't like to, to take that when it's over uh, 14, over two touchdowns, because then you're you're needing two touchdowns and a field goal or three touchdowns, which is asking a lot. Like, can you get that many possessions in the first half? And I figured I would go with them over the Bucks on this bet because the Bucks were playing the Panthers and I just figured the Panthers have a better offense. The Jags are more than likely to three and out and really not move the ball. But I was a little bit wrong on that. And I was looking like I was dead in the water as the Packers entered the second quarter with zero points on the board. But Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things. First play of the second quarter. He throws a bomb, 78-yard touchdown to MVS or Marquez Valdez Scantling. Scantling. They would end up scoring again, but this was right around the two-minute warning. So now I'm praying to God, Jake Lutton, Jags, they're going to be dumb. They're going to try to move the ball down and get some points. And I was praying there was a turnover. And what do you know? Almost immediately, Jake Lutton throws that coveted interception that I needed, baby. And guess what? From there, the Packers, they really didn't do much. They stalled, but uh, Mason Crosby hits the field goal. Listen, he squeaked that just inside the up left uh, uh the upright um the left goalpost I was scared for a second I had to wait to see you know if the refs put their hands up and uh I hit on that one so uh yeah that was nice I always I get so lucky on those sometimes like last second hits but um you know the Packers uh they then listen I Yes, is that luck? Absolutely. They scored 17 points, exactly what I needed in the first half, and they did it all in the second quarter. But again, this game was really tight throughout, and the Packers found themselves down 20-17 to in the fourth quarter. They were not about to lose at home, though. Rodgers hooked up with none other than Devontae Adams. 
hadn't heard his name yet, right? Another touchdown for Devontae, his fourth straight week catching a TD pass and his seventh in four games. Keelan Cole for the Jags, he was basically their whole offense. He returned a punt for a touchdown and caught one from Lutton as well. So there you have it. The uh, Aaron Rodgers Packers, they improved to, uh, what's their record now? Seven and three, six and three. Let me see. I'm trying to free. I'm trying to see. Yeah, their set Packers are seven and two. They they still hold. They're tied with the Saints for top record in the NFC. Okay. All right. Next up, the Browns and Houston Texans. They were put in a rain delay during the one o'clock game. So they started off, they were about 37 minute rain delay. They finally get going. It was a rain soaked, you know, game. And let's pick this up in the fourth quarter. Late in the fourth quarter, it is 10 to seven. This was Nick Chubb's first game back, I think off IR. Browns, listen, Browns were three and a half point favorites in this game. They were up three with a minute seven left when Nick Chubb broke one and looked to be headed to the house. He looked to be headed there. He almost pulled a Daniel Jones, but not quite. An extra chance. We're just going to take a knee and the game's over. 59-yard run. Not only did he not go out of bounds, well, he did. That. Eventually, who, who knew it was at the one-yard line? Yeah, but that just made no sense. He ran 59 yards and just went out of bounds at the one-yard line, up three, spreads three and a half. If they score, they cover. Instead, he goes out of bounds. They take a knee, run the clock out, game over. I don't know why he did that. You're only up three. God forbid, you know, there's a fumble or, or anything, you know, if you score there, you go up 10. But they wanted to just end the game, and God, man, if you bet that game, holy cow, are you livid. That would not be the only game to devastate some betters. Uh, more on that later. Uh, but next up, let's talk about Alex Smith. He made his first start since his devastating leg injury uh, two years ago. Uh, how this happened. So Kyle Allen, he was hurt. That put Alex Smith in line for his first start since 2018. So 728 days. It was really a valiant effort. He's He looked good the last couple games when he came on in relief. Um, he orchestrated what I thought was about to be one of the great comebacks and great comeback stories of the year or ever. Uh, a guy that almost lost his leg down 24 to three in the fourth quarter, scores 17 straight points, okay? Um, no, they scored, they tied the game up at 21, I believe, and then they exchanged a pair of field goals, and then, yeah, they were down 24 to three in the third quarter. They come back, they tied the game at 24, and then they exchanged um, field goals, I believe, but Matthew Stafford had some time, he gets them in line, had a solid game, almost threw, threw for 276 yards, three touchdowns, and he puts them into striking distance. Matt Prater, who honestly has been a very reliable veteran kicker in this league, kicked for Denver for many years, tied for the longest kick in NFL history, field goal, 63 yards. He hasn't been that great this season. He lined up for 59, and he nailed it for the game winner. And, you know, the Redskins are just over there, just, ugh just deflated because they're not having a great season. They have two wins and, you know, a couple weeks in a row now where they where they came oh so close. 
Here is that Matt Prater 59-yard field goal. Take a listen. Welcome in. If you're joining us from the Green Bay game, tied at 27, Matt Prater attempting the game-winning field goal from 59 yards out. Looks like a knuckler, and it's through. Lions win. The first home win of the season for Detroit. What a league. Despite the career day from Alex Smith, Matthew Prater, and Matthew Stafford coming up huge. I don't know what it is about the Lions, but they just blow lead after lead after lead. Like, no lead is safe with them. Uh, But, hey, they get their first home win of the season. And kudos to Matt Stafford. And actually, Matthew Stafford, I don't know if he's playing this week. I heard he has like a torn ligament in his thumb or something. Let me double check this. He's questionable. Okay, he is expected to start versus the Panthers. Um, He missed a few reps earlier in the week, but reportedly suffered no setbacks. in his return to the field and will start Sunday. Uh, Kenny Galladay will be out and Danny Amendola. Oh, wait a second. We're both absent from Friday's practices. Okay. Um, So, yeah, he will play. So, ignore that. And let's move on. Let's talk about the Giants. I wanted to take them so badly in this game. And I just didn't. And I have to announce some breaking news that just came in because I know I'm going to forget it if I don't announce it right now. So, we have some breaking news. I used to have, like, a breaking news sound sound bite um, thing, uh, sound effect. But I guess I, I don't have that anymore. Anyway... Some breaking news. De'Aaron Fox has agreed to a five-year, $163 million max deal with the Kings that could increase to as much as $196 million. Let me just say this. Uh, Kentucky kid, John Calipari, uh, John Calipari, um, Never trust a lefty point guard. I hate to say that, but it's like a lefty quarterback in football. I just, I got to see more before I can trust it. And I haven't seen enough. De'Aaron Fox claims he's like the fastest player in the NBA. I think him and Westbrook had like this little feud where he claimed he was the fastest player. And then Westbrook chased him down once and just stuffed him uh, from behind. But I just, I don't know. There was Brandon Jennings. I mean, there's been a host of obviously, you know, left-handed ball, you know, shooters and whatnot, but a left-handed point guard, I just, it rubs me the wrong way, man. And and I don't know that De'Aaron Fox is worth $200 million. My goodness. But anyway, that's the big breaking news there. I'll get into more basketball news in the uh, next couple of minutes, but back on topic, let's talk Giants playing the Eagles. We all know they've lost eight straight against the Eagles. This is the second game uh, that they're facing them this season. Um, second matchup. It's very hard to sweep teams divisionally anymore. But um, the speaking of sweeping uh, divisional opponents, I read that Tom Brady, obviously they were swept by the Saints this year. In Tom Brady's entire career in the AFC East, he was not he was never swept by a single opponent. That means no team throughout his entire 20 years in the AFC East, no t- not the Jets, not the Bills, not the Dolphins, none of them 
beat Brady twice in one season. I mean, do you realize like how unbelievable that 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 is? Just ridiculous. So the Giants coming into this one, uh, losers uh, eight straight against the Eagles, and I knew that had to come to an end. Uh, they started; they're playing better, coming off a win, and Eagles, yes, sitting atop first place in the NFC least at three, four, and one. That tie could be a big factor later in the season. And the Giants, toe-to-toe, just outplayed them and, and won the game. They uh, win this one 27-17. The Eagles are now 3-5-1. and one. They do hold a minor lead over the Giants, who are 3-7, and seven, the 2-7 and seven Cowboys, and the Redskins, who are also 2-7. and seven. I believe this is now between the Giants and the Eagles. It's all about who is going to get to those probably six wins. But man, Daniel Jones... For a guy that turns the ball over left and right, and maybe we should move on and draft Justin Fields and all of that, yada, yada, yada. What is this, like two or three straight games where he has yet to turn the ball over? Um, So that's impressive. And he managed to run one in from 34 yards out without tripping over the white lines this time. So a little bit of redemption. Here's that play. Jones on the keep. Daniel Jones showing his legs, showing his speed, and Jones into the end zone for the touchdown. 34 yards for Daniel Jones, and the Giants strike first. Well, the Eagles are used to seeing this because Daniel Jones went for 80 in game one on the same type of play. This is a zone read. Daniel Jones is going to read the defensive end. He sees the defensive end collapse. That's his tell to run the football, keep it and go. Now, when he ran that- Look, this was an impressive opening drive. Daniel Jones has some sneaky speed. I mean, he's legit when he gets on those read options and he gets, you know, and he's out in space. He can go the distance, so... So, uh, yeah, he's looked impressive. Um, That was the opening drive of the game that they took to the house for seven, and they just kept rolling from there. On D, the Giants kept Carson Wentz at bay. He only threw for 208 yards on 21 for 37 passing. He's been uh, nothing but pedestrian this season. They've got some decisions to make moving forward. Eagles failing to convert a single third down while four Eagles wide receivers combined for just 10 catches and 94 yards. And my favorite quote of the week, my favorite soundbite of the week, Doug Peterson going on, uh, uh, it's, it was an FAN morning show, Sports Talk Radio in, in Philly. And wow, you just listen for yourself because this is some intro for Doug Peterson. Ooh. Who do you blame the most for the Eagles' 10-point loss to the Giants? 72% coaching. Head coach of the Eagles, Doug Peterson. Hi, Doug. Good morning, Angelo. Thanks for the lead-in. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. I did. That was just... That the, was awesome. I know. That really, that, hey, listen, that just puts me in a great mood today. <laughs> I'm already in a good mood. I yeah. appreciate it. I, I kind of felt you probably wouldn't be in a good mood. You Can did, I hang up now? No, no. Please don't, Doug. I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my obligation right now. If I, I hang up, I feel my obligation. Doug, I fully understand. I'm, I'm pissed off, Angelo. All right. What about, Doug? I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off at myself. I'm pissed off at the way we played. And, and it's just, it, it frustrates me. It frustrates me to no end. Yeah, that just about sums up the Eagles season right now. And yeah, Doug Peterson, I don't blame him. He is very frustrated that this team can't put, you know, string it together and, and, and beat 
a three and seven team. Uh, okay. Let's make no mistake. The game of the week was in the desert in Arizona. Another game I wanted to bet the bills were three and a half point dog or two. They were plus two and a half. Yeah. The bills were plus two and a half. And again, this was the second one on the day that ended in disaster for one side. If you bet this game, the, Bills found themselves, you know, back and forth contest all day. You figured this one would be pretty close. These teams evenly matched. The Bills managed to take a 30 to 26 lead. Josh Allen finds Stefan Diggs for just a beautiful touchdown from like 22 yards out, gives them the four point lead. So, of course, Kyler Murray, the Cardinals, there's like 30 seconds left. They need a touchdown to win the game. A field goal doesn't get it done. Well, of course, Kyler Murray works his magic, rolls out, breaks a tackle, and as he's falling out of bounds, just heaves up a bomb to the end zone. And what do you know? The greatest wide receiver in the NFL, hands down right now, DeAndre Hopkins calls game. He goes up over three defenders, including Tredavious White, all pro, and just snags on them, okay? They all got mossed by Hopkins, who, by the way, um, Bill O'Brien got a second-round pick for the greatest wide receiver in the game today. Listen to this call on this unbelievable Hale Murray from Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Murray, out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Murray heaves it downfield. It is. Oh, it's caught. It is caught. DeAndre Hopkins. Miraculous. It's Murray magic. It was unbelievable. Ian Eagle with the call there. He's truly one of the best in the business. Uh, so, yeah, that was the game of the week for sure. That was the play, uh, you know, heard around the world. Um, quick note on that. Funny thing I saw on Twitter. DeAndre Hopkins, that photo netted Nike $5.7 million and counting, um, or the Jumpman brand. Uh, because he was wearing the Jumpman gloves, but he's not a sponsor of Nike, so he doesn't see a single penny of that money. Just a nugget that I saw floating out there on Twitter, interesting enough. Uh, Kyler Murray made some history in this game. He became the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to score a rushing touchdown in five straight games. And of course, the Steelers at all eyes on them, seeing if they could get to 9-0, facing off against their AFC North rival, Cincinnati Bengals. And this one really was not close at all. Um, after not practicing all week from COVID, he talked about there's only so much you could do, uh, you know, watching on an iPad. Because of course, you know, the Steelers are so smart. Vance McDonald tested positive for COVID, was not feeling well, 
and they let him fly on the plane and sit next to their franchise quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. So he had to stay home, couldn't practice all week. Didn't matter to Big Ben. He's been here, done this before, Super Bowl champ. He goes out there, throws for 333 yards, four touchdowns, and the Steelers win in blowout fashion, 36-10, to remain unbeaten 9-0. Let's quickly talk the Saints. They beat the 49ers, but they lose Drew Brees for at least two weeks. I think it will be longer. It did come out earlier this week that Brees has several cracked ribs and a punctured lung, which is miraculous because you just all we saw was Brees on the sideline in the second half. He didn't get taken to the hospital or anything. It wasn't until they did a CAT scan or x-ray later the next day that they saw all the damage. Uh, so that's crazy. Jameis came in. He was okay. They got the win. But guess what? It was announced today that Taysom Hill, not Jameis Winston, will be starting Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, just something I really don't understand. I feel like this is some sort of decoy scenario with Taysom Hill, who's just been a gadget guy his whole career, and that maybe he will get the quote-unquote start on paper, but that Jameis will probably play most of the game. And then my one buddy, who who is pretty connected, uh, he made a far-fetched claim. I, I have to verify this myself, but, I, you know, in, in this business world of sports that we know and love, um, he said that, by not starting Jameis Winston, they don't have to pay him like $5 million or something. So I don't know if there's a stipulation in his contract about starting a game this year or something. But if that's it, that's, I mean, that's pretty petty. Um, but, you know, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. But I can't verify that at all. Um, and from what, you know, Adam Schefter tweeted today, it does seem like Taysom Hill is going to be, you know, the starter. He took all the first team reps in practice, but I just have a very hard time believing that a guy who's, what is he thrown? 10, 15 passes in his career. He usually comes in, he, he runs an option. He's like, he's like Tim Tebow. I mean, running a wildcat and yes, he could throw it once in a while. He plays tight end. He's caught more touchdown passes, um, you know, than he's probably thrown in his career. But uh, yeah, that's a very interesting one. And then the Sunday night game, you had the Pats upsetting the Ravens at home. This one was a total monsoon of a game. Uh, and just when you think you figured out the Patriots, Bill Belichick proves to all of us why we're dumb and he is the man and what probably the greatest coach to ever do it. Okay. Ravens were double digit favorites going into this one. And I was, I was betting on them. I'm like, yeah, um, they're going to win this game. Definitely. Because what, what do we know? The Pats barely beat the Jets on Monday night football. And I mean, barely because it came down to that 50 yard Nick Falk game winner. Okay. Um, they now had to take on the Ravens offense, number one rushing attack in football, Lamar Jackson, all that, and all signs pointed to a Ravens win. But the Pats said, I don't think so, and they outrushed the best rushing team in the league. Belichick went from tanking to winning two in a row and possibly getting this team now back to relevant back to playoff contention because there's talk they might add an eighth playoff team into the, into the, each of these conferences now with covid ramping up and getting worse but uh i you know and i hate to beat a dying horse on the flip side of this lamar jackson has now burned me twice i needed him to get three touchdowns combined this week uh, against the pats and he only got to two and he did it the week before where he needed like over three and a half and 
uh, you know, he's been pedestrian the last three games, and they've lost two of those three. And like I said, I don't want to beat a, a dead horse, but he cannot win in prime time. In these big-time games, nationally televised, he just doesn't seem to have it. And I don't know, you know, what the reasoning is behind that if he's trying to prove himself too much. But I'll, you know, I'll excuse this one, say the weather played a big part uh, because they were down 23 to 17 when uh, Bill Belichick decided to call in Mother Nature for a, uh, you know, a a freaking monsoon. Uh, It just was so fitting that the hardest rain we've seen in any game all season long happened to come at the end of this one when the Ravens were backed up with like 30 seconds left, no timeouts inside their own 10, and they had to drive the length of the field, and that was never going to happen. So, you know, the Pats get a big win there. The Ravens lose, and the Steelers now build their lead in the NFC North even further. Okay, Monday night football. You've got the Vikings. You've got the Bears. I wanted to take the Vikings, but I said this is two sloppy teams. I'm going to steer clear of this one, which I did. And Kirk Cousins, after starting uh, 1-5, and five, has this team now winning three straight games to improve to 4-5. and five. They have the uh, Cowboys coming up. That could be 5-5. Five and five, And they win this one against the Bears, 19-13, sloppy, low-scoring game. Entering Monday night's contest, Entering this game, Kirk Cousins 0-9 on Monday Night Football, so that's got to feel real good. This is where I should insert that, you like that? You like that? From Kirk Cousins back in his Redskins days. Um, He gets the W there, first one on Monday night. He completed 25 of 36, threw for 292 and two touchdowns. Listen, I picked him up in fantasy. I'm starting him this week against the Cowboys. If he could throw for 292 and two touchdowns, I'll be satisfied get me to that 300-yard mark, and I get a bonus in my league of three points or so, and I'll be much happier. Uh, Both those touchdowns went to Adam Thielen. As for Bears fans, you may just want to throw in the towel now. They were the most foo-foo, five-and-one team ever. This offense might actually be as bad as the Jets. They scored just six points from field goals and tallied 41 rushing yards in this game. And if you're saying, well, no, they scored 13 points, right? Well, no, they got to 13 because of Cordero Patterson. If not for his kickoff return to start the second half, the offense would not have recorded a touchdown the entire game. To add injury to insult, Nick Foles got carted off the field late in the fourth quarter. We later found out it looked devastatingly bad, like a broken hip or something. No, just a bruised hip. He is day-to-day. They have the bye this week, so we'll see um, what comes out of that after this. Uh, Matt Nagy not ruling out the possibility of going back to Mitchell Trubisky, who's dealing with a shoulder injury himself. After, yeah, like I said, and after starting five and one, the Bears have now lost four straight and are averaging just 15.8 points per game in those contests. Rookie Justin Jefferson for the Vikings continues to be an absolute slam dunk. I wanted the Jets to take him or CD Lamb. Of course, they took Makai Becton. He is currently ranked is Jefferson fourth all-time in receiving yards per game by a rookie with 78.4. OBJ holds that record. On Monday night, he tallied eight receptions for 135 yards. Okay, let's really quickly recap last night's game because we're about an hour in and I've still got to get to NBA and some other stuff. 
Okay, Seahawks outlasting the Cardinals, avoiding a season sweep. I jumped all over this. I moved the line from three to two and a half Seahawks to play it safe. Threw a hundo on this game. Won me 80 bucks. Let's go. Um, I was playing Call of Duty uh, with my buddies and watching this game on the iPad, and I felt good most of the time throughout. They went up 7-0, then it was tied, then they missed the extra point, it was 13-7, and I knew, I just knew that that extra point was going to be a factor late, and it was because the Seahawks were only up two when the Cardinals had, I think, like second and 20-something, and I was on the video, I was on Call of Duty, my friend as a witness, and I said, they never seem to call holding in the end zone anymore. This would be really great if we got a holding call in the end zone that would result in a safety. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? My wish was granted. Christmas came early. They got the safety in the end zone, even though it looked like uh, the holding was at like the half-inch line. Um, But they couldn't review it. I don't think you can review safety calls. Two points. Seahawks go up four, get the ball back, kick a field goal, go up seven. And there was it was a little dicey at the end. Kyler and, and the Cardinals moved the ball down the field pretty good. But, uh, you know, they faltered, had a fourth down, had to waste a timeout on a, like, second down when the clock wasn't even running because they were about to get a delay a game. And then uh, he gets sacked on fourth down. No magic two weeks in a row. Thank you, Jesus. And... The Seahawks win 28-21, so I end my losing streak. I needed that one. Uh, the win helped Seattle break a three-way logjam atop the NFC West. The Seahawks had lost three of their last four, and turnovers were a big reason why. But Russell Wilson played it cool, calm, and collected. He threw for just 197 yards a season low, but he was very efficient, 23 of 28 with two touchdowns, and DK Metcalf got back into the end zone finally. Um, as for Seattle's defense, they held Kyler Murray to 15 yards rushing. And when Kyler Murray is held, that was his season low, by the way. When Kyler Murray is held under 30 yards rushing, Cardinals are one and eight. So something to keep in mind if you've got the Cardinals on your schedule moving forward. All right, that wraps up our week 10 recap. Let's dive in real quick. Week 11, couple games I like. Um, Jets and Chargers. Chargers are 2-7. and seven. Jets are 0-9. Sam Darnold will not start. Jets coming out of a bye. I've got to believe that at 10, like this spread is 10 points. I don't think the Jets will win. Uh, I hope they don't win, I should say. This is their most winnable game on the schedule, I believe, as of right now. This is the most winnable game. They do have to go uh, to the West Coast, but they had the bye, so they're rested, rejuvenated, even though they rested. And some, play, you know, Brashad Perriman will probably play, but he's banged up and no Sam Darnold. They look good on Monday night. I will give them that. Uh, 10 is a lot of points for a Charger team that's 2-7 and seven and blows fourth quarter leads left and right. So I don't know how you don't take the Jets in this one. That's a tough one. I may steer clear, but we'll see. That's a that's a tempting, tempting game. The 7-2 and two Saints are three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Falcons. If this is for real and Taysom Hill is starting, how do you not take the Falcons to upset the Saints here or at least cover the three-and-a-half? I like to hook there at three-and-a-half. Usually when it's a three-and-a-half hook like that, you take the dog, the team that's an underdog because they all they have to do is lose by a field goal, whereas the team that's favored has to win by four points, which is dicey. Um. 
Some other games that I like, you got the Steelers and Jaguars. Steelers are 10-point favorites. Listen, Steelers are 9-0. How lucky can Jake Lutton get? Uh, You know, come on. The Jags are, they won their first game of the year. They've lost eight straight. Steelers have won nine straight. Something's got to give. 10 points, double digits. Is it a lot? Yes, maybe so. I don't know, but it's the Steelers. They haven't done me wrong yet. Jump on them at 10. Maybe change the line if you're feeling, you know, not so confident about it. You've got the Ravens and Titans. That's a rematch of last year's playoff game in which the Ravens just blew it. Uh, Lamar Jackson coming out saying that they just overlooked the Titans, which I don't know how you could do that. Baltimore is a six and a half point favorite. That to me is a little bit high, but I'm also not as high, you know, not, I don't like the Titans as much as everybody has all season long. Um, that's a game I'll probably steer clear of. Uh, let's see. You've got the Dolphins and Broncos, always tough to play in Denver, so I'm not going to touch that game at four. Packers and Colts is an interesting one. Colts are two-point favorites at home. I've decided I'm starting Colts defense from here on out in fantasy just because they are the number one ranked defense now in fantasy, and I get it. It's the Packers, but hey, that's just one of those things where you roll them out there. They're number one for a reason and see if they can you know, keep the Packers at bay. Uh, You've got the Vikings, Cowboys. I like Minnesota here. Andy Dalton should possibly be back in this one. But even so, um, eh, seven's a little bit high too. I would lower this line. If if it's the odds are not crazy, I might lower this line to like three and a half or four. Um, Yeah, that's a tough one. And then uh, the the easy one this week is the, uh, this is probably my my number one lock. It's the uh, Chiefs. Going on the road to Vegas to take on the Raiders. Look, divisional games, it's very hard to sweep an opponent. The Raiders got it done last time. They beat the Chiefs, um, but Kansas City minus eight. It's The only reason this one isn't up around like 10 is because that it is a divisional game and because they did beat the Chiefs last time they played 40 to 32. They actually beat them by eight, and the spread is eight this time. Um, you know what? I don't know what the over is. Let me see. What is the over? The over is 56 and a half. You know what? It's high, but it's the Chiefs. It's not that high. Uh, CEH, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is probably not playing in this game. So we could see Le'Veon Bell with his, you know, heaviest dosage thus far since signing with them. Uh, and then you've got the Bucks hosting the Rams. That's an interesting one at four. Again, I still need to see if the Bucs can, can can come and win this game against the six and three Rams. That will really solidify the way I feel about them as, as Super Bowl contenders. Um, and then you've got the Bills, the Bears, the Giants, and the Niners all uh, with their buys this week. So yeah, that's going to wrap it up. We'll take a quick break and we will talk NBA draft and all these trades, crazy trades that took place. Okay, we are back, and let's dive right in. I really don't want to waste much more of your time. Lakers and Thunder earlier in the week before the draft, they agreed to a deal that sent Dennis Schroeder to LA and number 28 and the 28th overall pick to OKC. Schroeder is a huge cog to this wheel. It could spell the end of Rondo, personally, my, that's my opinion. He led the league in bench scoring a season ago, so this is a welcome addition for the reigning champs. The Thunder were not finished making deals. They then went out and traded Chris Paul to the Suns for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen Lecque, and draft compensation. This is 
what we would consider a big move. Yes, there was speculation that he was going to go join up with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, those young guys. They went 8-0 in the bubble. This is a very, uh, this is a team to look out for. They are rising. They are the cream rise, starting to rise to the top. The Bucks, they made a couple of splash moves trading for Drew Holiday. The Pelicans agreed to trade him to the Bucks for three players, George Hill, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, okay, two players, those two guys, three future first-round picks and pick swaps. This, to me, was unbelievable how much they gave up for him. Three picks is a lot to give up. Uh, Milwaukee then did make another trade for Kings sharpshooter Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, that one giving up Dante DiVincenzo, Ursin Ilyasova, and his $7 million. They needed to get rid of that contract. And DJ Wilson. However, however, as of today, that deal did not go through. And it is under investigation as of now um, by the league. So what happened was free agency begins today or began today. But this deal was widely reported on Tuesday. So that means that if the agreement occurred Tuesday. It would have been three days earlier than free agency negotiations were permissible. The Bucks did end up waiving Ilyasova, so they shed that $7 million salary. Bogdanovich is expected to enter restricted free agency today because I believe the um, the, uh, the 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 Kings matched his offer or whatever. So, so now... Um, no, so yeah, he's sorry. He's just going to be a restricted free agent because they couldn't get the trade done. So what that means is any offer that he get offer sheet he gets from another team, the uh, the Kings can match it, and he will could remain with the Kings. Um, it appears though that this trade is unlikely because their salary, the Bucks' salary structure, um, doesn't. Just it doesn't fit, and the fact that there's an investigation um, underway, so I don't think the league would let that take place anyway. Uh, the back to the Drew Holiday deal, though, the one that actually did go through. Like I said, absurd haul. But David Aldridge did point this out on Twitter: if getting him, if getting Holiday, that is, keeps Giannis in town after 21, after the 20, this season, because of course he could become a free agent. You do it a hundred times out of a hundred and twice on Sunday. I get it, I get it. I mean, I, I, you know, Drew Holiday, averaging like 19 points per game. He is uh, All NBA defender. Uh, I, you know, but. I just don't see him as like that superstar player that they need. Is he that much better than Bledsoe? I don't really see it. In other news, uh, James Harden, he turned down the chance to become the league's first $50 million per year player and is instead looking to form a super team with KD and Kyrie in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yes, my Brooklyn Nets back in contention, relevant again. It's been two decades. It wasn't until 2000 that they were relevant going to back-to-back finals, but of course, basically got swept in both those series. Uh, and yes, they are, you know, looking like a potential landing spot, but right now Harden is under control for two more years, so both sides are standing firm. Both him and uh, Westbrook want out, but they're both under contract, so the Rockets are asking for a huge haul. They want Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and three first-round picks, which is absurd. Sean Marks knows that he doesn't have to make this deal, per se, because as currently constructed, this team is already in contention. 
uh, adding Harden would just be icing on the, on the cake. And the Rockets did say they're you know prepared to get uncomfortable and bring those guys in because we're a month out from the season starting. So you know we'll see what what takes place from from there with this, with Harden. Daryl Morey, uh, the former GM of the Houston Rockets, he made headlines during the pandemic with his comments about China and whatnot. He moved over, got hired, you know, went to the Sixers recently and did not waste much time at all. Traded an albatross of a contract in Al Horford, the number 34 pick and a first round draft pick in 2025. So about like five years, four years away to the Thunder for Danny Green, Terrence Ferguson, but that wasn't the end. He also traded Josh Richardson and Tyler Bay to the Mavs for Seth Curry. Seth Curry, of course, is the younger brother of Steph. He's a six, excuse me, six-year NBA vet. Started his career at started his college career at Liberty, then went to Duke, played for Coach K. He spent last season with Dallas, averaging 12.4 points per game on 49.5% from the field shot a whopping 45.2% from three, which was third best in the NBA. Okay, now let's really quick recap the NBA draft. Go, uh, the first two picks were, were projected, really. You had uh, number one, Anthony Edwards, going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Last time they had the number one pick, they took Carl Anthony Towns. Golden State had the number two pick. They selected James Wiseman second overall. Uh, more on them in a second. They had received some devastating news. Uh, Lamella Ball went three to Charlotte. Of course, his brother Lonzo Ball was drafted second overall by the Lakers. So the Ball brothers are now the first brother pair to go in the top five in the NBA draft ever. The Chicago Bulls at number four took Patrick Williams. Cavs took Isaac Okuru, fifth overall. Um, at number six, you had the Hawks taking Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, apologies if I'm getting the name wrong. Pistons took Killian Hayes, number seven. The Knicks drafted National Player of the Year, highest dra drafted A-10 player since Lamar Odom. Obi Toppin, who many think is a steal. Some think they didn't need another power forward. Why didn't they go out and get Tyrese Halliburton? Uh, but, you know, slam dunk in my opinion. The uh, the Wizards, they drafted uh, Denny Avdija. Uh, he is just the second Israeli player drafted ever into the NBA. Uh, the first being Omri Caspi. Okay, uh, the Suns, they took Jalen Smith, who I was hoping that he would slide to the Nets. I was thinking the Nets were going to get uh, Jalen Smith out of Maryland, but he goes number 10 to the Suns. The Spurs at 11 took Devin Vassell. And number 12, the Kings absolute steal. They took probably the best player in this draft, Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State. The, at 13, the Pelicans, they took Kira Lewis Jr., um, 14, the Celtics, Aaron Nesmith, Magic at 15, Cole Anthony. This is where it gets interesting. The Trailblazers at 16, they drafted Isaiah Stewart, reportedly traded to the Pistons after first being dealt to the Rockets at 17, Timberwolves drafting again. Uh, Alexej uh, Pokusevsky reportedly traded to the Thunder. Mavericks drafted Josh Green at 18. The Nets at 19, I wait all night. Um you know, for the Nets to pick. And what do they do? They draft Sadiq Bey, but they traded him to the Pistons after first being dealt to the Clippers. The Nets, though, get 23-year-old Landry Shamit 
from the Clippers. Very solid pickup. Resigned Joe Harris. They now have the deadliest shooting uh, duo in the NBA. Uh, add KD and Kyrie in there, who are no slouches themselves. And this is forget the Warriors, This forget the Rockets. This could be the best three-point shooting team um, in the history. Of course, every year a new team is setting a three-point record, uh, but make no mistake, Shamit is shooting at 40.3% for his career, and he's just uh, 23 years old, and he played at Wichita State. The Heat at 20, they drafted Precious Achua, and real quick, quick nugget on Precious, my man Precious Achua, right? He's got a couple brothers. His his parents are Episcopal uh, ministers, right? So very religious. Th- his brother, he has two brothers. Their name, uh, their name, excuse me, three brothers. Their names, God's gift, God's will, and promise. I shit you not, ladies and gentlemen. He also has two sisters. Their names are Grace and Peace. Uh, you can't make this stuff up. Um, wow. Uh, one more first round nugget real quick before I get back to the picks. Duke failed to have a first round pick for the first time since 2010. Nine straight drafts with at least one first round, excuse me, one first rounder was the second longest streak in modern draft in the modern draft era since 96. That is behind only Kentucky's active streak, which was extended to 11, uh, on Wednesday night. Um, and it was reported on draft night that Clay Thompson had suffered a significant injury during an open run with multiple other NBA players, basically like a pickup game with other players. Uh, later confirmed, unfortunately, Clay Thompson has torn his Achilles. So after missing all of last season with a torn ACL, he has now torn his Achilles. And that is one of those injuries that you may never come back from the same person. I'm sure he's calling up his former teammate, Kevin Durant, asking him about his recovery period and how he went through that, but just absolutely devastating for the league, um, devastating for the Warriors especially. Uh, But back to the picks real quick. Um, The Sixers at 21, they took Tyrese Maxey, another steal in my opinion. 22, the Nuggets drafted uh, Zeke Naji. At 23, the Knicks, they it was reported earlier that they jumped back in with a trade. They drafted Leandro Bomaro, uh, reportedly traded to the Timberwolves. The Bucks at 24 drafted RJ Hampton. He was reportedly traded to the Nuggets after first being dealt to the Pelicans. The Thunder at 25 drafted Emmanuel quickly. He got traded to the Knicks after first being dealt to the T-Wolves. Bear with me here. It's hard, a lot to follow. Celtics at 26, they took Peyton Pritchard. Solid, solid point guard. Uh, you know, love that kid. Uh, at 20, who did the Jazz draft at 27? Hold on. At 27, uh, the Jazz, oh, let me skip it real quick. So at 28, the Lakers took Jaden McDaniels. He was traded to the T-Wolves after first being dealt to the Thunder. Okay, um, I got to find these picks. At 29, Raptors drafted Malachi Flynn. Celtics at 30 drafted Desmond Bain, reportedly traded to the Grizzlies. Let me see real quick. Here we go. At 27, the Utah Jazz took uh, Udoka Azabuki. Azabuke. I don't know how that wasn't listed on here, but anyway. Okay, so that's your NBA draft. We won't know much about these players for a while. Half these guys we don't we've never even heard of. Um, so not going to talk too much about that. 
Okay, next up, the Blazers. This just broke today. Blazers acquiring Celtics center Enos Cantor in a three-way deal that also includes the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies get Mario Hazania and the 30th pick, which was Desmond Bain from, uh, you know, draft night deals as part of the trade. The C's get a future Memphis draft consideration. Of course, Enos Cantor played with the Portland Trailblazers last year after Yusuf Nurkic went down with an injury. So he will go head back there to Portland and back up uh, Nurkic. And speaking of the Celtics, Gordon Hayward just opted out of his $34 million uh, deal to become a free agent. Uh, Shocking. Apparently him and his agent or his agent definitely thinks he can get more than 34 mil elsewhere. Uh, The only reasonable place I could think of would be the New York Knicks. Um, They're also contenders maybe for a trade for Russell uh, Westbrook. We'll see. And then just recently, Goran Dragic and Myers Leonard both announced they are re-signing with the Heat, both two-year deals. Dragic has a team option in the second year. Leonard's deal is worth nearly $20 million. And also today, uh, beating a drum here, Canadian government will not allow the Raptors to play in Canada this season. So the Raptors are taking their talents to South Beach. I mean, Tampa Bay, or actually, as it's pronounced, truly, Tampa Bay. So they will play out this season in Tampa Bay because, you know, it's hard enough for them to get fans for a regular sport. Now they could just play without fans. Just, just so weird. The Toronto Raptors are going to play in Tampa Bay. Wow. All right. In other news, it was announced that Conor McGregor is back, ladies and gentlemen. Give us your thoughts. Surprise, surprise. The king is back. Wow. Uh, one of the most tantalizing figures. He loves to talk that smack. Um, Lost his last couple fights, but he's back. January 23rd, book it. Mark it in your calendars. UFC 257, Poiret versus McGregor 2. And then speaking of UFC, tomorrow night you have UFC 255, Figueredo versus Perez or Perez. This has features the male and female flyweight champions in the main and co-main events. You have Valentina Shevchenko on the women's side, just an absolute beast. The main event features the UFC's male flyweight champ, the man they call the god of war, uh, Diverson Figueredo, Brazilian, I believe. You also have the return of Joaquin Buckley who you know, you might not know him by name, you might not watch UFC, but you absolutely know who he is. Pulled off one of the greatest knockouts in UFC history just about a month and a half ago. Even if you don't follow the UFC, I'm telling you, you've seen Buckley's knockout. His opponent, Kasagani, caught Buckley's left uh, left kick. So he's basically now hopping on one foot. He held the leg a little bit too long, Buckley used that as leverage, spun, and let loose a wicked back kick with his right leg. It caught it caught Kasangani flush. Like, you know, they call it that button that just, boom, you're knocked out. Hit him square on that jaw, right in that button, and he was out cold. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in the UFC for sure. So uh, this is actually, you know, quite the card, and that starts uh, tomorrow evening. And then some devastating news in baseball. Robinson Cano suspended a full season for testing positive 
for the performance-enhancing steroid drug known as Stanazole. And not only will this moron forfeit $24 million in annual salary that was guaranteed to him, it is his second suspension in three years. This ends any chance, any hope he has uh, of, uh, you know, making the Hall of Fame. And at 38 years old, I don't think he could come back from this. Uh, just shocking, we, you know, Brody Van Wagenen, this was one of his guys. He brought him over, partly got him fired, this trade. Um, and Cano was absolutely terrible in 18. In 19, or, you know, last season, he was, this past season, he just was, he was absolutely re, re, revamped and revitalized and rejuvenated. And he looked great, hitting over 300 and, and really looking, you know, like his 23-year-old self at the plate. But now we all know why, because from one source, according to Michael Kay, they hardly tested for PEDs this season because they were so focused on COVID. But guess what? Robinson Cano felt that he needed to take it. He felt like maybe he's not the same player he once was, and he got caught yet again. Once a cheat, always a cheat. This is what's going to happen. They just find ways to, you know, get around it. But how stupid. To forego $24 million, just asinine, asinine, asinine. And then um, quickly in other news, Jim Beheim, Lou Holtz, both announced they have COVID-19. I wish them nothing but the best. They're kind of up there in age in their recoveries. Um, the same goes to anyone else that has COVID as well. And finally, last segment, as always, on this date in sports. On this day, November 20th, 1982, 10 years before I was born, the play, Cal Stanford, the band is on the field. One of the craziest plays ever. You add Cal, you know, on the kickoff, they start lateraling it a million which ways and they run and score the touchdown with the band on the field. Refs got together. Nobody knew in the stands what was going on. They end up ruling it a touchdown. Cal wins the game. Uh, I wasn't alive to see it. The only thing I can compare that to was a couple weeks ago when Rutgers had what was an even crazier lateral. You'll never see anything like it. Unfortunately, it was called back because they claimed that one of the laterals was uh, a forward pass by like half a yard, which is BS because it was the greatest thing that I've ever seen in a football game. Um, and, you know, that stands. But on this date in sports, take a quick listen. Stanford Cal, the play with the band, November 20th, 1982. We ran a little bit long today, but I feel like it was worth it since we had the NBA draft to cover. Now you're caught up. Now you could go, you know, talk to your office buddies and, and spew all this sports knowledge because I dropped it like it's hot this week. All right, everybody, stay safe. Enjoy the uh, rest of the weekend and uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving. I will see you guys and gals next week on another episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your Pody, the Pody, and I am signing out. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's got it. The Bears! The Bears have won! The Bears have won! Oh!
the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football.